Microphone check. One, two. CC. Hello and welcome at CC. Hello and welcome at one, two, three, four, five, six. She sells seashells by the seashore. She sells seashells by the seashore. There we go. Rolling. I guess I want to encourage every documentary filmmaker who wants to tell a story to just believe that you can tell it. That's the biggest obstacle. You know, I meet so many people who have stories who are like, but I don't know. I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to get funding. And I think you'd have to have the confidence to know that the story needs to be told and needs to be made. And then you, you will rile up support to make it happen. Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life, a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 56. And it is brought to you by Barong Films, proud creators of Documentary Film, The Documentary Life Podcast, and The Documentary Academy, our industry-changing A to Z documentary filmmaking program that will transform you into the documentary filmmaker that you've always wanted to be. Find out more at thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. This week is going to be another one of those episodes that has specifically come about from your suggestions and requests for content on a particular subject, microdocs. Over the past few months, I've received more and more emails and I've seen more social media around the subject of short form doc. Too much to ignore for sure. Not that I would want to ignore because every day short docs seem to be coming more into the consciousness of independent filmmaking. After all, when done properly, they seem to be a great way to not only cut your teeth in the world of doc making, but when produced correctly, they can be a really nice efficient way of telling a lovely story. And not only that, but they can be a great way for a filmmaker to tell a number of different stories in fairly short order. And that last bit is how we'll begin today's topic of discussion, with a look at five tips for making your micro doc. And then we'll have a conversation with one of the leading proponents of this quickly growing genre when we sit down to talk with Priyadi Mankar Deb, the creative producer for Micro Documentaries, one of the world's leading short film production companies. About a year and a half ago, Steph and I took on a short doc project called Fumi's Floral Shop. Somehow, for the both of us, it was actually our first foray into the world of micro docs. Of course, we'd been making our livings working in feature films and commercials and doing the documentary work as a passion. We'd both done a number of short fictional films, but somehow nonfiction in the short form, it had actually eluded us. When it came to documentary, we'd only worked in the long form which is probably what drove us to try our hand at a micro doc in the first place. After having spent chunks of our lives, whether on our own or other people's docs, the longer form had kind of lost a little of its appeal. Actually, that's not entirely right. Longer docs hadn't so much lost their appeal as the idea of perhaps doing something quickly, you know, getting in and out of a story in a, in a, in a fairly short amount of time. It seemed really, really enticing. Which, as I mentioned, is what we set out to do with our short doc, Fumi's Floral Shop. Of course, surprise, surprise, some plans tend to work out better than others. And certainly, as was the case with Fumi, things did not exactly seem to really go according to plan. So I'd like to share with you a bit of what I learned, not only from that experience, but what I've learned from others who have worked in the genre of short docs. So with that, let's get into five tips for making your micro-documentary. Number one properly vet out your subject. 
I mention this right up front because we really learned the hard way the importance of of spending time with your subject, in particular if your story is a, happens to be about one person. With Fumi, a story whose, whose main subject was a 93-year-old woman, we were up against a number of obstacles that we didn't really fully realize or, or appreciate and, until we were honestly knee-deep in the project. I mean, this was a project that we were able to secure some funding for before we shot any footage. Actually, it was through a, through a seed grant from our friends over to RAC, the Regional Arts and Culture Council, who I, who I mentioned in the, last, in the last episode. Now, normally this would be a great thing, right? Getting some funds before you even begin shooting. Who wouldn't want that? Well, the irony is that it sort, it sort of kept us tied to a project that, honestly, we most likely wouldn't have stayed tied to, um, given the, the, the obstacles that we would run up against. I mean, right out of the gate, when I spent our first day filming with the main subject, she informs me that, that she would not be wearing any kind of microphone. And it was just me shooting this thing at this point. So I didn't have a sound person who could at least, you know, use a shotgun to capture some audio. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if it was because a 93-year-old woman was understandably unsure of having a, a young man put a lav on her or or what the true issue was. But, but regardless, she would not let me record audio properly. Now, thankfully, later on, when when, uh, when we hired a DP and a sound person to shoot some formal sit-down interviews, we were able to get some good, clean sound bites. But but even then, it was like pulling teeth, getting her to speak to us comfortably and, and, and with more than, than single-word answers. And this would end up being really just the tip of the iceberg. We, we'd run into all sorts of interesting challenges with her and her family that, that I don't need to get into here. But what I'm trying to get at is this. If we had just spent some time with her and her family doing some cursory filming and interviewing, we would have at least given ourselves a better chance to understand more fully what we might be getting ourselves into. But because we we sort of fell in love with our concept and then applied for a grant with that concept without actually doing any filming with our subject, well, we ended up pretty tied to that commitment once we once we landed the grant. And what pr- probably should have been a fairly straightforward shoot and, and time commitment, it turned into a, a pretty drawn out and unfortunately pretty unsatisfying film experience. Number two, don't forget pre-production. I think that a fairly common misconception about doing short docs is that they're going to be pretty quick and easy, that, that you really just need to show up on the day with your camera and, and, and shoot and then spend a couple of days maybe afterwards in, in the edit room. Believe me, I've made that mistake myself. It, it's completely understandable, this this misconception, especially when you're coming from the long-form world where it usually takes years to see a film through through completion. But but seriously, don't make that mistake because it will cost you, if not financially, most certainly when it comes to the end product, your film. Losing some money to silly mistakes that might have been avoided if for proper planning, that, that's one thing. But, but when your film really suffers for it, that's the worst. You, you don't want that. So make sure to pre-plan like you would on any other sort of film. Um, schedule everything out. Hire competent people. Or if you're asking people to work for free, make sure they have a vested interest themselves in the story as well as the quality of the film. Have the proper and most basic gear on hand. 
Um, yes, you can shoot perfectly good-looking films with your iPhone nowadays, but make sure you're still planning for proper audio coverage. Um, you might remember it was episode number 53, just a couple of episodes ago. We spoke with DIY doc filmmaker Jack Ballow, who, who shot a one-day micro-doc down in the Dominican Republic. As he explains in that episode, he made sure to plan everything out as much as he could, knowing that he had one shot at creating this, this day-in-the-life video he was making. The microdoc approach should be every bit as professional as any other film shoot you work on. Number three, have a budget. Kind of going along with what I was just talking about and taking your microdoc as serious as you would any other film venture is to have at least some kind of a budget. Look, I get it. Certainly part of the attraction of, of making our doc films this size is so we don't have to break the bank doing it. Again, totally, totally understandable. And it's very real and, and legit, this kind of reasoning. However, even just a little bit of money to maybe you know, pay a sound person or, or your shooter, shooter or to have some lights on hand for a sit-down interview or to rent out a studio for a day, whatever the case is, even just a little bit of cash can go a long way in, in making your micro doc look and sound good. And we all want that, right? We all want that with our films. We want our films to be representative of, of the kind of work that we're capable of doing. No matter how big or small a film project that we're, that, that we're doing, no film project is worth the time and effort if it's not going to be something you, you can feel good about doing at the end of the day. So whether it's a little money you've put aside yourself for this or it's maybe some seed money from a grant or, or donation from an individual or company, you should definitely realize that, that having some money to operate should always be a part of your journey as a filmmaker, regardless of size of, of, of film project you're working on. And, and, and you know, also trying to raise even a little funds for your microdoc is great practice for when you have to raise the bigger bucks on, on your more substantial projects. Which brings me to number four, which is use your micro doc to learn about filmmaking. Don't underestimate the value of being able to practice your overall filmmaking skills by doing some micro docs before, before trying your hand at, at maybe feature docs. Of course, I sort of did this in reverse, and, and maybe that's why I feel like I can appreciate the value of being able to cut your teeth working in, in the shorter spurts that maybe um, make up a, a, a more pint-sized, if you will, film. Um, being able to hone some of your camera skills, working on your lighting setups for interviews, practicing these uh, interview techniques, cutting the scenes together. All of this is, is, is hugely valuable to you. And, and by working in the shorter medium, you might have more opportunity to be practicing your skills in, um, as I said, shorter, more, more con concentrated bursts and on a great number of uh, a greater number, I should say, of projects. And it's not just the technical aspects that you'll be working on here. You know, writing grants, uh, fundraising in general, social media outreach, all of these are aspects which, which if doing correctly, you, you'll be practicing by doing these microdocs. And number five in our tips for making better microdocs is focus on one subject and one point in time. And this is exactly as it sounds. Try to keep the focus of your story about one person or one event. Remember, this is a micro-documentary, which they, you know, they, they generally tend to be anywhere from one to five to seven minutes in length. You don't have a lot of time to work with here, so you're going to need to jump right into your story. 
There's not a bunch of time for, for exposition, for a bunch of testimonials from people or, or lengthy montage sequences. This is a short documentary, and therefore you need to tell the entirety of your story in a short amount of time. Keeping your focus on, on one subject in one point in time, it, it really allows you to do that. It's, it's partly, partly why Day in the Life projects can be so appealing. Um, there really is only so much that you can get when you're limited to, to, to this kind of a, of a timeline when, when doing a day in the life. You have a beginning and end and ending. And, and in the middle, there are a few things that occur. But for the most part, you have a pretty intact story and structure. Uh, there isn't a lot of time to get distracted with other people, other days, other themes, other events. Yeah, so so stay focused, stay on target, and, and and you'll have a much easier time not only when shooting your film, but but certainly afterwards when you sit down and start trying to uh, to piece together a story from your footage. I hope that these five tips for making your micro doc are helpful to you when you when you set out to make your own. If you've got some of your own recommendations and stories around the making of some of your micro documentaries, I'm sure that a number of us would love to hear about them. So please consider dropping me an email at chris at barongfilms.com. That's C-H-R-I-S, chris at barongfilms, which is B-A-R-A-N-G films.com. Or you can always post on the TDL Community Facebook group. When we come back from a quick break, we'll take a deeper look into the world of micro-documentaries as we sit down and have a chat with micro-doc expert Priyati Mankar-Deb. I think that you'll find what she says to be even more insightful and helpful for you and your micro-doc needs. That conversation up next on The Documentary Life. So you've got a great idea for a documentary film. Awesome. I'd love to hear about it, but I don't have a ton of time. Can you tell me about it in 30 seconds or less? Oh, you don't quite have your pitch down yet. Okay, that's fine. What's your website where I can find more information? Maybe a press kit I can take a look at. You don't have one. Well, have you thought about how you might raise some funds to help with the costs of making films? They can be expensive, right? You haven't. Okay, maybe just tell me about your audience. Who's going to want to see your film? Who will you be marketing it to? You don't know this either. Okay, then I'm going to assume you haven't thought about how you'll be getting your film out into the world then, right? I think I see what's going on here. I was once in your shoes. A great idea for a doc. Camera in one hand, a boom mic in the other. But other than that, not much other than a whole lot of excitement and gumption. And that's great. You'll need all of that. But you'll also need a heck of a lot more if you're looking to make the kind of documentary film that you can be proud of. The kind that people will want to see and will impact them. The kind that won't break the bank while you're making it. And dare I say, you might even make some money from. You need support, and we've got you covered. We built the Documentary Academy with you in mind. We've got all the resources you need to make a successful documentary film you can be proud of. Come and enroll at thedocumentarylife.com academy, and let's turn that doc idea into a reality. 
I am welcomed today by documentary filmmaker Priyati Mankar-Depp. Priyati, I'm really happy to have you on the program today. I know we chatted just before we, we got started here today, and, and I know that a big part of our focus is going to be about this, um, really the emergence and popularity of, of, of documentary as a short form and micro documentaries. So we're really happy to have you on the program today to, to kind of guide us through that subject. Well, Chris, thank you so much for having me. I'm, it's such a pleasure and an honor to be here, and I look forward to chatting. Excellent, excellent. I think a good way to get started, Priyati, was would be to kind of get some idea of, of your background with film and video work. And I say that knowing that um, in looking at your CV, you know, there's print media in here. There's there's India, there's the U.S., there's there's your master's in doc film and journalism at, at NYU. I think I mentioned, I said splitting time between uh, the states and India. Uh, how and where does 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 the, vil, the, the, the film and video experience and documentary, how is that evolving from, from, from your background? Yeah, so I think, I mean, documentary, my love for documentary film, I think it really traces back to my childhood mm. and really a very, very innate interest and in people. I mean, I grew up in the town of, I grew up in the United Arab Emirates, which is a small, small, tiny country of 8 million people. <laughs> of, and, and 80% of those people are expats. Yes. So I, I grew up surrounded by people from all cultures, all countries, uh, all kinds of different foods. Yeah, yeah. Lots of words, you know, for mother, so to speak, lots of languages. And I that's when I kind of realized that we live in a, a wild and wonderful world, you know, and there's lots to learn. And I think my story collecting mm. really began as a child. Mm. Um, yeah. It's and been, what did that look like? Paint us a picture of story collecting for you at a younger age. I mean, it was basically, you know, sitting, I would finish my homework and wait for my sister to finish so we could go play. And it, I would write a story on somebody I had met, you know, somebody yeah. I'd met at the market or my experience of exploring the broken down fort behind our house and, you know, just stories about yeah. that. So basically just keeping an open eye and open ear, being really interested in people and things and writing that stuff down, you know, so to speak. Right, right. And and how do you end up in, in either India or the U.S.? Which one happens first? Where do you first start um, telling some stories? So I'm from, I'm, I basically am from India. I mean, I grew right. up in the UAE, but my parents yeah. were there for work okay. and we moved back um, when I was about, before I was a teenager. Yeah. So India has al always been home to me. I mean, Bombay, this explosive city of 20 million people right. is what I call home. So yes, you know, I moved back to Bombay, yeah. did finish school there, finish college there. And um, just given my background and my love for writing, mm. you know, journalism was kind of quite a natural um, choice for me. I started writing in school, college, you know, soon started writing for national print media. Yeah. Um, and then from there, I got a little bit of exposure to broadcast journalism, okay. so TV news. You know, I grew up at this very exciting time when I came of age around the same time that the 24-hour news cycle came of age. Ah, uh, yes, indeed. So it was, you know, interesting to see what that looked like and kind of my work there, I, had, I always had this sense, you know, I mean, I kind of almost felt very voyeuristic being on a TV news team, trying to just get the most dramatic sound bites and the most dramatic shots and then moving on to the next big thing. Hmm. And I always wanted to linger and, and find out more or spend more time, you yeah. know. 
and and that's that's basically what led me to applying for a master's in broadcast journalism mm. and documentary, you know, at NYU. And I guess my documentary career started after that. So so working in broadcast journalism for TV news, and and you're not the first we've heard this from. I, I myself included. I had started out and started out in TV news years and years ago, and and through sort of the collecting of people's stories and 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 finding the sound bites. At some point, I think like yourself. It almost became, it almost became unsatisfying just just locating the soundbite or creating a thirty second or a sixty second at the most uh, minute package, and uh, and I wanted to really know people's stories. I didn't feel like I was finding out barely the tip of the iceberg of people's stories, and I think that's where where my interest in doc may have began myself. And 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 and, and we've heard that before. Other others who have worked in in broadcast journalism, I think, feel similar to yourself. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely identify with what you said, you know, it's this feeling of just kind of connecting human to human. And for some reason, the TV news world doesn't give you the time to do that. You know, it's, 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 it feels so rushed. And as a documentary filmmaker, I feel that you can really connect, learn, understand, respect the other person, be, you know, in front of the camera on, on kind of a different level. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so you come to New York and you decide to to study documentary film and, and, and broadcast journal, in fact, journalism. In fact, you get your master's at, at NYU. At this point, is this when you really start to think that, yeah, you know what, doc film, I think that's my thing? Yes. Yes, that's that's when it happened. I mean, studying in New York is yeah. just it's just amazing, right? Just being <laughs> being there and walking the streets and so much to see and learn and absorb. And you know, at NYU, we had the chance to to work with really some really amazing um, teachers. I mean, Marsha Rock, who is an uh, an award winning documentary filmmaker, basically right. became my mentor. I see. And, um, helped me through this process. Also, I had the privilege of um, studying with George Stoney, who brought like all sorts of people into our classrooms, you know, to give us, um, like we had Penny Baker, we had um, David Grubin, all these documentary filmmakers, you know, who we, uh, who I had kind of studied and learned and yeah. could, could meet close up and really understand their journeys. It was so exciting to me. And I think that's what really made me feel like this is what I want to do with my life. Now, was was the short form documentary, were short films what you initially started working in or were you working on larger pro projects? So as part of our master's program, we started with, I, and, and um, this was an interesting program because it was, documentary film and broadcast journalism. So, you know, we learned, um, we, we did, we learned, we learned TV news reporting and we also spent time on the longer format documentary. Um, so a lot of our films were actually short. We started out, you know, I made a number of short films during my time there. I made a film on arranged marriages. I made a film on the West African community up in Harlem. And those were all, those were all shorter films, like seven, eight minutes long. Um, and it was really, I think at the time, the, the, the purpose of the program was really to give us a taste through shorter, something a little bit more manageable, and then work us up to longer films, just as we were learning the craft. When you think of someone who's homeless, the first thing that comes to mind is someone who doesn't have a roof over their head. But there's also the inner journey, right? The outer journey home, 
finding shelter, there's the inner journey home. How do you deal with the stress of being homeless and really reestablishing a sense of home within yourself? Why don't you tell us a little bit about microdocumentaries as a company and then how that came to be for you? And then we'll start talking about microdocs as a, as a, as a short form genre. Absolutely. So here at Microdocumentaries, I mean, we're a company that specializes in creating short form documentary films um, that advance social and environmental missions. Right. So we focus on films that are, you know, authentic but also affordable and actionable. So most of our films are actually made to grow bigger an idea that's taking birth in the world. You know, some kind of, um, we're supporting missions and we're supporting movements through our films. For clarification for my listeners, is micro documentaries, it's not an NGO, it's not a nonprofit organization. This is a for-profit organization, correct? So, Chris, you're absolutely right. We are not a nonprofit. However, the majority of our partners are nonprofits and other people working in the environmental or social space. Now, Preeti, I'm assuming part of what we didn't cover in, in terms of your background is you have experience working in the nonprofit sector. How did that really play a part into in, in working with micro documentaries as a company? Yeah, so, you know, I finished my master's in New York. I worked in New York for a couple of years, mostly in long-form documentary. And then I decided I wanted to move back to India. Yeah. Um, part of the reason for that was because I felt like the stories I knew best and the stories I cared about most deeply were actually sitting back home right. in India. So I decided to, you know, take the plunge and go back home. When I did that, I started a little company um, for... To, you know, I started my own company, and of course, part of that was well, how do I make a living? You know, how do I make a living on documentary films? That's right, right. And this was 517 Productions? Yes. Okay. So this was 517 Productions that I started in 2008. Yes. Um, you know, prior to that, I dabbled a little bit in advertising before I went to micro documentary. So, like you, Chris, I actually got a bunch of commercial work, mm. you know, that I started doing. Um, they were. I guess they were kind of corporate films, so documentary format, you know, corporate films right. for a number of larger organizations. Yeah. And while I was doing that, I was researching ideas for documentaries. My work, my, my previous experience in nonprofits mm. just got me to realize that here are all these people that I love, I care deeply about what they're doing, they yeah. have these amazing, rich stories, but they're not able to raise the money to tell their stories. Ah, right, right. You know, and I felt like, what if I, what if I, I what, what can I do? So I decided, you know what, I'm doing these films, larger films, I'm making decent money. I don't love the work, but maybe I can use that money to subsidize work oh. in the nonprofit sector. Yeah, so, I, right. so I started doing work sometimes for free. Sometimes, you know, people would pay me what they could in the nonprofit world to tell these important stories and yeah. really help change get made in the world through through storytelling. So micro documentaries for you. Um, um, how did you end up there then? Why why was that such a why was that the right right fit for you? I mean it was kind of serendipity, you know. I was in yeah. Boston, I was wondering what to do. I did a little bit of freelance work with a couple of filmmakers and I happened to go out to lunch with, you know, an old friend who happened to know the co-founders of micro documentaries and like, oh, you know, you just really like these people. You should meet them. Yeah. And I did meet them and I their mission just really spoke to me because it's kind of, you know, what Natasha Girardi, who's, a, who's our CEO, kind of what the, the 
the her her business plan that she devised was just so smart because she found a way to make you know to make short films to nonprofits kind of affordable. Yeah, and, and can you share that share what that was for us? How did she do that? What was part of her business plan that that made micro documentaries so unique in that way? And and I ask this because of course. There are so many people that we know. I certainly have plenty of plenty of listeners. I myself, you know, even ten years ago, wanted to, uh, you know, originally have a uh, have a company that really focused specifically on on the nonprofit video production sector. What was Natasha's sort of? What did she bring to the table that that set her apart? Yeah. So micro documentary was started. So I joined micro documentaries back in two thousand ten, and okay. you know, micro micro documentaries was basically a little infant at the time. She yes. just started a couple of months before that, and that was the time when you know technology had really reached a point where I mean, you know, this, you know, Chris. Suddenly, filmmaking was within reach, accessible to so many people, right? Yeah, it was, and it became, you know, it, I think. The, the confluence of that, mm. along with the fact that, um, you know, Natasha had all this experience and she had all this access with the nonprofit world because of her previous work, she kind of went out and spoke to 30 nonprofits, asking them what they wanted, you know, what it would take for them to create films to tell their stories. And she found a few things. She found like most people have, you know, amazing, most nonprofits have amazing, the most amazing stories sure, to of tell. Of course, and, of course, yeah. And the most important stories to tell, but they don't really have the resources. Yeah. They don't have the time to spend crafting those stories and they don't have, you know, big budgets. Right. So what we did and what microdocumentaries developed is kind of a good partnership for organizations like that. So we took the filmmaking process. So typically to make a short two minute film, and I used to do this in India, you know, I would spend three to four days with the with the people I was featuring. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um and but but what Natasha found was that, you know, people didn't have three or four days to give us. Mm. So she shortened the timeline. You know, most of our films and micro documentaries are made within one day, right, if right. not half a day. Some right. are even made in three hours, wow. you know, in, in terms of the filming time. Um, she kind of spun things around so that we're not sending a big heavy crew to to these small tiny organizations which becomes intimidating becomes expensive mm -hmm. but we just we just send one producer you know one person with a backpack and a camera mm -hmm. and a tripod who we don't really use lights uh, most of the time i mean yep. this is our typical of course there are always exceptions but that's one person going in so that reduces your cost mm. Um, and we devised the structure so that a person like me, who's a creative producer, is actually working with the client on story, on planning, you know, kind of deciding what the what our strategy is, how right. we're going to best put the story forward. And then I work very closely with my producer and editor to get those elements, even though I may not physically be there on the shoot. Yes. So that brings that brings time and cost down too. So let me let me picture this, and because I have spent so much time doing the one man band thing over 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 the years, mm -hmm. essentially what you guys are doing then, if I have this correctly, is someone like yourself as the creative producer, you are having conversations with the client. You are mm -hmm. you are better understanding what the story is. You're and but part of that is also in understanding the story. You're actually figuring out a strategic plan for for your person and let's call let's just call the person the shooter, right? Mm -hmm. Your your 
you're figuring out a strategic plan whereby your shooter can go in, spend a half a day, a, a day max, covering the story, and they know how to cover the story because you have already had the conversations with the client about what the story is. And so you actually go in and and, and you film that story really prior to, you know what the story is prior to shooting, which is not necessarily the case for most documentary films, right? Where we kind of set so much time aside and, and we sort of immerse ourselves in the subject. What you have done is you're sending someone in for a day because you've done all the sort of pre-production work. You know what the story is. You know what they need to cover. Your client knows sort of the approach that you're looking for. And that's going to cut down on the time that they spend in front of the camera. They know what they're saying. They know what themselves what the story is. And from there, then you just have to bring the footage back and, and you spend what? How long How long do you spend cutting it? Another day or two? A couple of days. And yeah. then we do a few rounds of revision. So, yeah. I mean, you know, or yeah, I mean, I yeah. So it takes about a... So from the time we finish filming to yeah. the time we give that first cut to client is usually about three to four weeks, but it takes us the actual time that all of us put our heads together and spend on it is yeah two or three days. Probably. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know? And how much time, Priyati, are you spending beforehand speaking with a client, kind of hammering out the, what their vision is and what the story is that you're going to be filming? So I guess I want to back up a little bit. You know, the, when we when we first start working with our clients, the first thing we try and understand is what their goals are. Yeah. You know, who their audience is, who they're trying to reach, kind of what's important to this audience. How do we really speak to this audience? Okay. And and we also understand what their resources are, how much time, you know, effort they're able to provide to the project. Right. Right. And then we craft their strategy based on these conversations. So it might be that, you know, um, we're filming kind of a cultural interaction between, you know, a set of people in Cuba and the U.S. Mm. And we don't know who we want to to feature. And, you know, they, the client has the resources and the time to have us spend money and extract that story. Okay, and, okay. And then have a director out. So it's possible. Yeah. But I would say for 90% of our clients, that is not the case. Right, you know? right. For 90% of our clients, they're like, oh, you know, we really don't have much time. We really don't have much budget, yeah. but we do want to make a film. And, you know, this is what we want to say. So in that case, we work with them because we feel it's better to tell, you know, better to help them have something that will help them in their efforts that will help them right. kind of support their mission, raise money, maybe advance legislation, you know, whatever it is that they're trying to do. Oh, yeah. Um, a video will help them do that, and and we try and work within within what it, within the set of restrictions. You know, we kind of have a culture of frugality, so to speak. You know? Yes, as do the people you're working with. I mean, that's just yeah. the nature of working in the nonprofit sector. Yeah, and we've embraced frugality. You know, we've embraced yeah. it so we can we can make beautiful work within constraint. I, I think it's great, Preeti. I, I think it's great because so many doc filmmakers, a lot of us cut our teeth doing the nonprofit work. Nonprofit work, and there's kind mm -hmm. of an exchange of services there. There's there's an understanding that the nonprofit probably doesn't have a very a particularly sizable budget, but we sometimes. A, a good way to work with that is we really get to kind of cut our teeth and hone our skills um, doing mm -hmm. that work. And so there's a, then that sort of acknowledged of like, hey, we don't have a lot, a big budget for you to make this film. Um, we know you're also kind of cutting your teeth doing this. 
And so, Mm -hmm. um, and I think what you have done is you've sort of taken that, you've taken that model and you've made, you, you have, you guys have found a way to make a profitable, profitable business telling, um, what you alluded to earlier, these amazing stories that are almost always so, I mean, amazing stories that often come from, um, NGOs and the nonprofit world. There's so much, so much rich characters and cultural analysis that can happen there. And so you guys have found a way to, to make a business doing that. And, and not many people have, and, and, uh, I applaud you for that. It's great. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, I think, it, it is, you know, and it, it comes with its own challenges and it comes with its own highs and lows. But I, yeah, I, I have loved working with microdocumentaries these past six years, you know, because and that's mainly because of the clients that we work with and oh, the amazing yeah. work that they're doing. Preeti, you have other services that are connected with microdocumentaries. What what are those offerings? Yeah, Chris, you're right. We do. So we definitely, you know, we produce films, but we also provide our clients with narrative and strategic guidance kind of trying to figure out what their stories are and Mm. you know what the best way to tell them would be Mm. um and we also have uh you know we we also conduct workshops so we conduct workshops on storytelling as well as distribution and so training and workshops narrative strategy and then of course the filmmaking aspect to it those mm-hmm. are the, the three main services that Micro Documentaries uh, currently offers. We have also recently launched an online course. Uh, yes, uh, that's right. Tell us about that. So the on- online course is called Short Films Big Impact. And it basically takes you through, you know, we've produced, I guess, uh, over a thousand films, thousands of films, actually, yeah. Uh, in over 30 countries and it's basically taking all of our learnings you know all of the different things we've tried and succeeded with or some things we've tried and realized they don't work taking all of that and compiling Mm. it into this um, course which um, you know goes over basically storytelling Um, you know what is the story how do you draft your overall narrative strategy what is the anatomy of a compelling video story how do you scout and you know, become a stellar story scouter. So you know, we take you through that, and then we also take you through the distribution focus of it. How do you reach a bigger audience than you ever have before? Um, one of the film series that we worked on, uh, which is which works on homelessness in San Francisco, mm. we actually um, you know did an organic distribution and got it in front of got seven hundred fifty thousand views on it, which we were really excited about. So we take you through our learnings in terms of how you can really you know make your film but then not have it linger on youtube with a couple hundred views really get it out there i would love to hear pretty how has the short form how's the short doc form how has that become such a force these days yeah so so chris i think you know micro the short form micro documentary has really taken off for two main reasons one is People have shorter attention spans today than they did previously. Um, Secondly, it's the internet, which is this amazing distribution channel. Um, And you can actually, you know, use social media, use your own networks to distribute your own films. Um, You know, they don't have to. Previously, we were kind of always, you know, restricted by the television hour, kind of the, 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 the time that we were told was the reasonable time for a documentary feature length documentary but now that kind of doesn't exist anymore in mm. this new age you know we're free to make films as long or short as we think 
they need to be and we can distribute them ourselves you know we're not we don't necessarily need uh, a, a television channel or a, even even a documentary distribution company to, to right. take them up that's you know. right. And I think that's absolutely, it's brilliant. And that is something that has really been a big shift, saying, even I would say even in the last five years, it's been such a shift. I know when I was, you know, this is almost 10 years ago at this point, when I was editing the first documentary that was solely mine, um, it was a film called Journey to Kathmandu that I shot in Nepal. I remember it almost, I, I remember being in, in post on that film, Priyadi, for a good three years before I finally sort of had the realization that my film didn't have to have a 58 minute and 30 second cut for broadcast distribution. It didn't need to be an hour and 20 minutes to have feature distribution. It needed to be the length of the story. Whatever the story was, whatever felt right, that was what needed to be the length of the film. And I think so many of us have been brought up thinking, you know, sort of hammered into our heads that we have to have this 58 minute cut for for TV distribution. We have to have an hour and a half to be able to get theatrical distribution. And we really, especially as doc filmmakers, we're doing ourselves a, a disservice, certainly to the story of the film, if not for our own well-being. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I agree. Uh, yeah, I mean, the short form is 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 popular for a reason. Stories are going to tell themselves, and they need to be that the length that they're going to be. W- would you agree with that, Priyati? Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a right length for every story. And yeah, the we're now free to do that. However, you know, it comes with its own. I mean, just because we have the internet as a distribution channel yeah. doesn't mean there's a steady revenue stream. That's so that's right. what we need to work on as documentary filmmakers. It certainly you know? is. It certainly is. Um, what what would you say some of those, and, and maybe this is going to be included in that answer, I, I don't know. What are some of the biggest challenges that we run up against in making microdocs? I think one of the biggest challenges is getting funding for them. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, recently I've been, uh, one of my films has been on the festival circuits. I've been, uh, you know, had a chance to just kind of go back to um, meeting and talking to a lot of distributors as well as, you know, other documentary filmmakers. And there still is quite a prevalent, at least, I, I think there still exists quite a prevalent kind of frame of mind mm. that document short form films are just a way to get your feature deal. Right, you know? right, your calling card. <laughs> it's, it's kind of just, 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 yeah, exactly, you know, a step in the door. Um, well, how do you feel about that, Priyadi? You know, I actually love the short form, mm. uh, the, the short form documentary. I feel it gets seen a lot more. I feel it gives you more ability to kind of tell the story in the length it needs to be told. Yeah. It's easier to do. I mean, a feature-length documentary takes over your whole life for several years, you yes, know, usually. Yeah, certainly does. And I'm a mom. I have two very young kids. Yeah. It's hard for me to be away from them for, for a long time, but I can go away and film for three or four days or mm. five days and come back. And and doing the short form, it also, it also allows you, I would think, you can tell more stories. I mean, that's the thing with, with documentaries. You know, we've been working on our film Elvis of Cambodia for the past four years and 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 I don't want to say there's no end in sight but you know these things tend to go on and on far longer than we initially this is with the feature length docs they go on far longer than we initially you know really anticipate and one of the things that sort of um, I guess kind of bums me out about that is that 
you know, even in this, in, in, in my instance, having worked on, you know, this particular feature so far for four years, I feel like there's so many stories that have happened in the four years of my life that I wish I could have told. And I can't because I'm really focused um, on, on this one particular story. And, and, and doing short form docs, I guess it allows you to get in and out of there and go to the next story. And you can just, you can cover more stories that way. And there's really something to be said for that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the other good part about short films is you need shorter funding for them too, mm, you know? Yeah, so right. So it's, it's more achievable. I mean, for instance, we, so last year I, I shot a film called Three Boys Manzanar. Mm. And, and essentially, you know, when you think about the Japanese internment, um, specifically in, in Manzanar, which is uh, about five hours from L.A., I mean, if you if you Google Manzanar, one of the images that shows up is three young boys yeah. behind barbed wire right. in this internment camp. And I happened to meet the daughter of one of the boys. Hmm. Um, and she was kind of telling me about, you know, her father, her father's experience and how she's trying to find the other two boys. And I mean, it was a film waiting to happen. And, and we managed to go and film. But I think one of the reasons it got made is because we needed a finite amount of money, you yes, know. Yes, yes, um, right. The, um, the, the people who we were interviewing, who were these three men in their 80s, you know, and did not really want to be on camera. Oh, wow. Kind of were like, okay, for a little interview and somebody <laughs> following us for a couple of days, you know, as long as it's not going to take over our lives. Yeah. So... For for many reasons, I mean, the short form was the correct form for this film. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we managed to get the people we needed. We were able to do it with, with a limited budget. Right. And, um, yeah, and, you know, we were able to edit it fairly quickly and get it out there. Mm -hmm. so. that, that's fantastic. Uh, the last, the last micro doc that we did was a film called Fumi's Floral Shop. And uh, it was about, at the center of that film was a 93-year-old Japanese-American. And uh, certainly a part of that story was was her time in uh, in Minidoka at, at an internment camp there. Um, so we uh, we run in some similar circles. That's fantastic. Um, I, w I would love to see your short. How can I see it? It's not online yet. Yeah. It's still kind of we've you know we've, we're still uh, taking it to festivals, but yes. hopefully next year we will have it online. And really, the aim of this film is yeah. to have a conversation. You know, get people talking about what it means to discriminate because of the way somebody looks or because of their color of their skin, their religion, you know, that's, that's kind of what we want to bring out. So we're also hoping to take it to schools and do oh, some, yeah. you know, screening. Outreach program. That's great. Yeah. How can we get funding for sh specifically for short documentaries? That's the million dollar question. Isn't it, is. It? it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, of course, there are a number of grants that exist that you can apply for. Um, but my my kind of recommendation and advice is to find, you know, kind of find a partner, find a, a, a company or an organization or a family mm. who cares deeply about your mission, mm. you know, and find a way to work with them. I mean, you know, advertising, I mean, the new, new form of advertising in some ways is also short form documentary. Absolutely. You know? it is. Absolutely. Um, we actually did a series of films for Cisco a couple years ago and they, you know, we started talking to them. They wanted to make some films and they wanted to make films for their audience was 
chief technology officers. Right. And one of the things they found that these people care about is the next generation workforce. You know, uh. what is it like when, like, you know, kind of trying to understand who these people are, what they want, how can we retain them, how can we attract them? Mm. And we, we ended up traveling the world, meeting people, all sorts of young people, yeah. and just profiling their lives and how they live and work with technology, right, you know. Right. Um, it's this particularly subtle way of, of, of really a commercial endeavor, endeavor, but it's really also all about documentary. I think there's a, there's a I mean, there has just a, been a huge demand for that kind of content. Absolutely, yeah. And I think, you know, we, we I kind of call this original content programming. Mm. So, for instance, you can, you know, find an organization that cares deeply about the environment, right? And they're, the people who they are, they're working with, I mean, their customers really, really are excited by the fact that this is a, a, a company that does good while they're doing their business, right, you know? So, right. so, so they would be interested in perhaps producing a, a, a little documentary that you know you as a filmmaker are passionate about and putting their branding on it just brought to you by i mean it's it's so subtle it's so educational yeah. it's it's kind of like a little gift to your audience <laughs> right <laughs> well i mean here in the us that's how how npr is being funded often and mm -hmm. you hear that mm -hmm. quick tag at, at the beginning of a program or at the end and it's just a real simple sort of um, easy way to do it, and uh, it's it's non-obtrusive, and I think that's thank you. I mean that that's a great recommendation there, Preeti. That, that that's great. Um, and 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 I will ask, how do we? You know, once we spend our time with with our with our short films, how do we get these micro docs out to the world? What's some advice you can share with us about how we can do that, Preeti? So the first piece of advice that I would like to share is that. Whatever the budget is for your film, mm -hmm. and you know, by this I mean a lot of documentaries. They say the budget of my film is zero yeah, <laughs> because <yeah>. I'm <laughs> I'm taking my camera out there, I'm doing all the filming, and then I'm editing myself. Yeah. But but you are dedicating a couple years of your life to making that film, that's right? right. And if, that's right. And if that's what you've decided to do, then you should dedicate a year of your life to getting it out there and getting it distributed ah. because. You know, a lot of times we make a film, we make a beautiful film, but then we are exhausted by the time we finished it. Right. And we, we just want to like release it. And, and we hope that because it's beautiful and it has a story to tell, it's going to go out there and people are going to watch it. But unfortunately, that doesn't always happen, you know. And, and we found that the films that are most successful at being distributed, whether even whether they get like, you know, distribution deals or they get picked up by Netflix mm. or Amazon or whatever it is, mm. somebody has worked hard to get those out there. Mm -hmm. You know, they have a, they have a distribution plan. And which is why often we say, you know, when somebody says, hey, I have a budget of like, you know, $25,000 and I want to make this film. Yes. We'll be like, oh, well, take at least half that budget yes. and keep it aside for distribution. That's right. You know? <laughs> that always blows people's minds, doesn't it? It it does, but you know it's better than having your film just sitting there, right, you know, right. waiting to be watched. So you know what? You know, what would be, I think would be really helpful for my listeners, and I'm glad you brought this up. Let's use the 25k budget as an example, and 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 you're saying take to make sure that you earmark half of that for distribution afterwards. Give mm -hmm. us some concrete examples how that money is being used in distribution. What are you buying? 
So it depends how you want to distribute your film. I mean, one way, of course, is to get it into film festivals, mm -hmm. you know, and hope. But that takes time and effort, researching which festivals you need to go to, which ones, you know, are, are kind of most likely in their programming to do you do your film the service that it requires. So that's, that's one avenue. But yes. you need somebody to be applying, you know, kind of researching, applying, following up, all of those things. Um, the other, I mean, if you want to, if you want to distribute on the internet, I mean, one of the biggest myths is that good content goes viral, yes. you know? Yeah. But you know, instead what we say is that first of all, even before you start making your film, think about distribution, hmm. think about kind of, you know, where, where you want it, kind of where you want it to, to be seen, who your audience is, who are the influencers, you know, who, who are the, the, the who are the influencers who are talking to that audience? Mm -hmm. Can you reach out to those people? Mm. You know, you have to spend time kind of uh, drafting, like drafting your your log line, your synopsis, mm. your putting your images together, creating your landing page, you know, and then also leveraging your network. So yes. when I say your network, it's not just posting it on Facebook or, you know, Instagram, and then hoping that your network will do the, do the rest. Right. You kind of have to put together a social media plan. plan. So who are my friends? How can I get my friends to extend these films to their networks, you know, to their, so my friends and family to, to then leverage their friends and family and then beyond. So, you know, it could be putting together a plan, looking at a calendar, deciding, okay, on X date, you know, world environment, you know, Earth Day is yeah. the day that I want to launch the film. Hmm. So you work backwards. Work you back know. from there, right. Work back, work back from there. You know, when are you going to send the film to your friends? Can you ask all of them to share it on Earth Day with a particular message? Mm. You know, a few days later, you have a, a follow-up um, email blast or a follow-up um, social media um, you know, tweet or post or whatever it is. So you have to kind of have a really structured plan. Mm. You know, part of what we also do is thinking about who are the people we want we would love to, um, you know, put it out there. So then we, you know, try and get in touch with those people. We try and under try and let them know why this film would be meaningful to their audience. You know, give it a personal touch. You have to kind of invest time, effort. So in that way, I mean, those are some of the things you can do to build a build a social media plan or build a distribution plan. As we wrap yeah. up, Priyadi, is there anything that you feel like you would want to tell um, tell my audience who primarily in terms of uh, in terms of making short films or micro docs or maybe anything we, we've spoken of today and, and keeping in mind that you know the audience for the documentary life is is primarily those who are who maybe are well acquainted with with working in film and video but maybe this is the first time they're doing doing a documentary um, and so speaking to that audience is there anything that you feel that you might like to add to this conversation I mean, I guess I just want to say that if you find a story and if you fall in love with that story, you will find supporters to help you mm -hmm. bring it to life. Mm -hmm. You know, if you if you if you truly want to make that story. And um, yeah, you know, we live in a world today where our networks are able to help us in ways that wasn't possible earlier. So I guess I want to encourage every every documentary filmmaker who wants to tell a story to just believe that you can tell it. And I think that that's, that's the biggest obstacle.
you know, I meet so many people who have stories who are like, but I don't know. I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to get funding. And I think you'd have to have the confidence to know that the story needs to be told and needs to be made. And then you, you will rile up support to make it happen. Priyati Mankar Deb, what a lovely, outstanding conversation. I am so happy to have had you on the program. I have plenty of listeners who have been asking for this kind of content, asking about microdocs. And uh, thank you for coming on the program and not only sharing your background, not only sharing what micro documentaries the company is all about, but really how we can best sort of be creating our own short form documentaries. Thank you so much, Priyati. No, Chris, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for really this you know, the conversation and um, connecting documentary filmmakers to each other and to the important work that they're doing and keeping us encouraged and inspired. And I look forward to, you know, following you and yes, definitely doing what we can to support the documentary life and also the community at large. So thank you. Thank you so much. Super happy you could be a part of it. Hey, can I ask a quick favor? If you found this podcast helpful in living your doc life or making your doc film, will you help us share it with more people by giving us a stellar review on whichever platform you use to listen to this podcast? We'd really appreciate it. And you'll be helping the doc filmmaking community find us. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.